0: What's going on, guys? This is Adam Menner, part of the VHE Performance Podcast powered by Business of Strength. Today, we have an awesome guest, someone that I kind of respect and admire from afar. I like what he does, and we've integrated a lot of these things with our athletes and even our adult clientele, and I'm going to let him elaborate on it a lot, but we have Matt Cooper here from
1: Rewire. Matt, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Adam? Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, of course. So if you guys don't know, if you guys scroll on Matt's Instagram page, Uh, Social media gets a bad rap and sometimes you can see little funky things on here, which I like on your page, but (laughs) kind of elaborate a little bit on on your background and and what got you started and and what took you down the path that you're on right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I originally was going to school for something else. I was going to school for communication, uh, journalism and, and analyzing the media and things like that. Uh, I realized that I was like passionate about, very passionate about uh, health and fitness at the time. And and as a lot of people have heard me say before, I think me search turns to research. And then from there, other people started asking me questions and I was like, you know what? like I, I really like helping people with this stuff. It doesn't feel like work and decided to go down that pipeline after that. Um, and then that gradually turned into studying, well, I actually wound up getting kind of like sick myself following a lot of health and fitness advice. And I wasn't as like fit as I thought I ought to be. And then, so that kind of narrowed my research a bit, it kind of got a little bit more surgical there. And I, I learned right. more aspects of integrative health, um, with regards to strain and conditioning, it definitely affected that too. And, um, I, you know, I kind of had to learn of some of these alternative methods of, of doing things while still taking the, you know, the meat from the traditional stuff too.
0: Right. But I mean, you said something interesting that I, I like, you know, I gave a talk with the summit called seven reasons why sprinting is uh, the key to health and performance. That was Nick Lamb's online sleep summit. And it's kind of aligns with what you talked about a little bit in terms of, I think people don't realize that like health and performance are mutually exclusive, you know, and yeah. you, you were like yeah. training to be healthy, but you weren't really that healthy. Like elaborate that on a little bit for like what you mean when you said that.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Um, You know, I I initially came from the supplement industry. And so I think with that, a lot of it was just working with and myself, like having a lot of guys who would kind of poo-poo traditional health and wellness things, whether it was supplements like, you know, like a vitamin D or vitamin E or something like that. And then they, you know, like instead focusing on something like a, you know, pre-workout, you could also take that into another, another venue too, like the gym, you know, it would be about what their lifts were, not about, how well they moved, how fluidly they moved, uh how, you know, how well they could stick their landing or whatever just to give you one example. Um they would gauge their progress by how they were looking and and how maybe strong they were, not not necessarily about how how good that they felt or how anxious that they were, how much energy they had. And so it was it was something that steered me down a path of um thinking of those things in silos like you said and then a lot of people like um uh, Ryan Freisinger of Cosmic Animal Animal, Aaron Davis of Train Adapt Evolve, sort of like I read some of their stuff where they framed it as health drives performance. And then it was, it was interesting to me because I was like, well, these camps really should talk, right? Like the, the integrative health camp, the uh strain and conditioning field. And and I think that it can kind of affect every area, whether we're talking about something as specific as bridging the gap from rehab to performance, all the way to um, you know, holistic health, quote unquote, like leading into performance nutrition.
0: Yeah, for sure. What's some like an example, like when I think about that, I'm just thinking out loud, I think about if someone looks really good, they run really fast they're really strong, but even they move really well. What's like the best KPI in your opinion that, define someone as being like healthy and you know they could perform well is that like blood work or how deep down the rabbit hole do you need to go as a professional you know without like overstepping your boundaries maybe
1: yeah yeah of course so um like I've seen people be like I guess to kind of like get a little like more granular with that I've also seen people be like weight room strong uh, but not necessarily be sports strong too Right. So, I think sometimes, like, on the at least what, how I'm affecting it on the training side of things, it, it was interesting because it, it's almost like I would see guys put up numbers. But if those if the, if the, my best athletes in the weight room were not my best athletes on the field, it probably meant that I was prescribing the wrong lifts, um, that I was not necessarily doing something right. My KPIs were off because if my KPIs were a back squat or something like that, and someone was excelling at some of these things, and there wasn't like a really a Anything more than a loose carryover at that, or maybe even an inverse one to what was going on on the field, it made me kind of think like, "Man, why? You know, am I just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks?" Um, so yeah, I mean, Corey, Corey schlesinger of the Phoenix Suns also kind of framed it like that for me too. Um, I believe in one of the talks he had with with uh, another friend of mutual friend of ours, uh, Paul Favorites. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that that on that side, as far as like the broader kind of breadth of that question with regards to like, what are some easy markers for health that someone can look at? Usually I look at energy level being one of them. Um, you know, we can get as granular as labs. If, if you want me to give off specific labs, people can look at at some point, we can look at that too. but. Generally, just how much energy someone has, you can you can usually see it on the athlete's face as well, too. Like, are they fully showing up like their personality or do they tend to be kind of closed off, not make eye contact, things like that. Obviously, like you want to triangulate a number of these things together, because if you just looked at any one of those things, it wouldn't be enough to tell the whole story. Right. Um, another interesting one, and, and this kind of comes out of the Dr. Ray Pete and the generative energy community, but how creative someone is um, and how much they maybe care about others is also indicative of a robust supply of energy in the cells and mitochondria you know if you kind of look at like maslow's hierarchy of needs in society you have you know meeting your baseline needs of safety shelter at the bottom for those of you not familiar with it and at the top it's um, self-actualization caring concern for others things like that and in order to have like you could also take that and extrapolate it to health right so usually you're going to see people who have like an underactive thyroid kind of a a low metabolic rate a depressed metabolism not necessarily have room for some of the like optional energy um allocations such as you know brain health have a level of creativity things like that they're usually very like shut down so that's that's something you could look at whether you're working with people who have uh, chronic conditions all the way to your, your gen pop all the way to some pro athletes too depending on um what they've been doing
0: yeah no for sure and i think sometimes too what a lot of people don't realize is stress is affected the same way whether it's the nervous system or even just like i always say to our athletes hey look stress whether you just broke up with your girlfriend or you did a hard workout is manifested the same way in the body it actually goes through right the same physiological process in terms yeah. of yeah actually goes through and so like the brain and your actual body can't distinguish between the two and so That's interesting that you say that almost like that creative empathy side, or even just having energy levels, what's causing that could be totally different, but it's manifested itself the same way.
1: Absolutely. Um, One other thing to hit on there. I think it was um, kind of a health voice researcher, Danny Roddy. um, He he's posted before and I, and I don't know it offhand, but I'd have to go, I, I could go dig and probably find it. He's posted animal studies where animals who have hypothyroidism and, and, you know, sort of depressed metabolic rates, sort of like shut down in response to sort of new stimuli to in the environment as well. Hmm. And you can actually extrapolate that to like, like a lot of people that I've worked with um, whether it's an athlete or someone else that might have some sort of like quote unquote mental health issue, you know, which is big in the NBA right now that we're talking about that, whether it's a, Depression, anxiety, um, even something as simple as going in, going in slumps. Not that this is the only variable that's responsible for that, but um, oftentimes you'll find that these people have these classic esoteric questions. These these athletes, and and it might be anxiety, like like we just said, depression, things like that. But instead of looking at something going on in their life, which their life might be great, it could be more on the physiological side. And I think what's really encouraging is that through nutrition, um, you know, light exposures, uh, rest, sleep, just kind of kicking the tires and all like the usual stuff you'd want to see show up um, doing that. And some like at least basic mindfulness stuff, you can actually improve a lot of that stuff. So then if you can improve the physiology, like literally the whole lens hormonally neurotransmitters, things like that through which they see the world gets improved. And then from there they can better from more of a place of biological neutral, um, be able to look at their life and take inventory and say like, Hmm, you know, do I, do I really hate my job or, or do I just have a, you know, a thyroid problem? Um, am I depressed or do I just live in a part of the country where there's no sunlight for a majority of the year, you know, and I'm not sort of supplementing some of that stuff with red light therapy or whatever. So it's interesting to be able to look at, at how we can affect those levers too.
0: Yeah. And I think it's a huge tool in your toolbox as a coach that you really just don't realize you have that much control of, you know, we talk yeah. about like, here, we always say like the empathy period. So an example is if when we onboard and assess new athletes, things that we ask them are like, even adults, right? It's like, Hey, what's your favorite music? When's your birthday? What are the things that you like to do to try to create that in atmosphere that fosters progress? Cause I'm sure, you know, and like something that I talk about a lot is like allostasis versus homeostasis in the human body. And like, how do you adapt to stress if you have this chronic state of stress all the time? Like you said, it's gonna show up in your blood profile. It's gonna show up in all these things. But what you're talking about, you can actually reverse that by just showing mm-hmm. other things, you know, that, that you just mentioned.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. And, and you know, sometimes too, you know, you might have to tackle it from the other side, whether it's like like somatic therapy and trauma release exercises, all the way to simple meditation or, or teaching people how to, you know, sit on their couch and just process their emotions and be with that with no distractions at the end of the day, or, you know, kind of like empty, empty their schedule a bit, um, you know, have less sort of stimulation going on throughout the day. It's like, sometimes when you can, you look at it from that perspective, it's like the, the, the mitochondria, you know, the, the, the cellular energy resources that we have to fuel everything from muscle firing to thinking. When those start to get used too much on fight or flight continuation in the body or fighting off an infection or your immune system attacking itself or whatever, there's less optional quote unquote, or what the body deems optional energy to go around for, for things like uh, hormone manufacture, muscular repair, uh, things that might go into recovery on the performance and health side of things too. So it's sort of like, a, as Brian McKenzie likes to say, the breath guy, uh, emotions and physiology are a feedback loop.
0: Yeah, 100%. Before we keep going, though, something that I think is interesting, I know people would be interested in is, you mentioned some of those profiles in terms of if you get your blood work done. What are some good KPIs or ranges that you've seen that correlate to the things we talked about before, like energy, cell density, mitochondria, you know, all those things? Like maybe what are some like the basic things somebody should be looking for that they like when they get their blood work done? Like, wow, this could be because of X, Y, and Z. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have reference, like, I, you know, not not literally in front of me. I have reference ranges for some of these things, but some useful labs people might find. Um, I can kind of read off a little profile. I'll give, like, the sample labs, and then so we don't get too much in the weeds, I'll, I'll give you a few at-home tests if that's yeah. okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like, prolactin, parathyroid, um, you know, TSH and some thyroid markers can be useful. Uh, serotonin, whole blood serotonin, uh, CO2, lactic acid, Free fatty acids. I think I have some of this written down somewhere. Vitamin D, histamine, um, albumin, total cholesterol. Other than not for the reasons people might think. Why uh, that? So, so cholesterol gets looked at with regards to like heart issues. I'm sure you, you and your listeners have heard. Obviously, I think we all have. Yeah. But really, high high cholesterol. So there's two two three parts of that cholesterol can can be more indicative of a thyroid problem or some sort of like whole body stress um and also cholesterol from different sources can mean different things right so i think like context is needed you know is is are the cholesterol and triglycerides and things like that that you that come from a lot of the frankenfood you find is that the same as cholesterol that's coming from like a grass-fed beef and and you know, my opinion on that, my stance on that would be, it's different. And then the other thing is that cholesterol is actually the main precursor to literally all of the anti-stress hormones you can make in your body from, you know, the anabolic ones to progesterone and, um, you know, pregnenolone, things like that too. Um, So I think we just, we think about cholesterol the wrong way. Um, There's not even, I believe, um, I have to have to find what the quote was, but there's actually not one solid study that actually isolates red meat eating as a variable and links it and cholesterol and heart disease as one. Um, It's all been sort of like loose correlations where Mm. someone might also smoke or make other bad lifestyle choices that connect those. Um, Other things people can look at is like an inflammation marker, like C-reactive protein, sodium, magnesium, calcium, like, like, almost like kicking the tires on your, you know, gaping holes in the diet, maybe, or like electrolytes, you know, hydration, things like that. Um, Yeah. Calcium, potassium, glucose. uh, And then some at-home tests people can do uh, are really tests that I believe it was until the thirties or the sixties used to get used to measure metabolic rate. And that's where you can take your temperature and your pulse rate over the course of like three to five days. And then ideally you're doing these things in the morning Um, usually throughout the day, maybe about an hour after you have breakfast. And then it can be useful to take them later in the day too. And and believe it or not, yeah, those are actually like, that was the, the main way to measure metabolic rate. So a lot of us in the sport performance community tend to think of lower heart rate as being a positive thing. Like, Oh, that means like better cardio. Like I think in the UFC, Michael Bisping was famous for having like a really low heart rate. And while that is an adaptation that can come from sort of like a, super compensation to some of your cardio, you know, cardio or cardio conditioning adaptations really a lower heart like a lower pulse rate is uh it's also a sign of kind of a depressed metabolism like an inability to kind of turn over if you will too um so while while i initially started uh started off thinking that a lot of that kind of more frequent meal uh those frequent meal concepts were good later thought that they were bad when i learned more about things like a uh, you know fasting and you know, keto-esque things in that space, you start to think of metabolism more as being how well can you oxidize fat and glucose for energy and things like that. Then you start to realize like, wait a minute, there was some actual science too, uh, like a lot more science than you'd think, to the idea of the metabolism having a speed, having a rate, having an ability to turn over, regenerate tissues, to recover, to you know, be able to almost kind of come back to a relaxed state, like your muscles come back to a relaxed state after contraction for performance. So anyways, it's interesting how things kind of come full circle and tie together. Yeah,
0: 100%. I think a lot of that too, is almost like contrary to what you think would be normal in a blood profile, right? That's, if you go to a doctor, they can classify you as healthy. But like what you're saying is, is if they don't understand how it connects to all the aforementioned things we talked about, it's like, no, you're really, you might not be you know, one more I actually had about that I think is interesting that I know a lot of uh, men might talk about is like testosterone.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, let's say you have low testosterone. That's not always directly correlated to like low hormones on like the adrenal side. Right. You could be yeah. you're suppressed in terms of stress levels are too high or other things are whack. That can actually also further suppress your testosterone.
1: Um, yeah totally yeah a lot of people look at testosterone as its own thing and then thus they try to create an intervention around that like trt or something like oh i need a testosterone boost of some sort whereas it's usually indicative of some other it's like a canary in the coal mine right like it's it's some other problem going on and that's just how it's manifesting right at the end of the day it's all your body's a checkbook or a a bank account right and you can only have so many withdrawals um and and you know before you need to kind of like Make sure you're making deposits. And so unfortunately, what a lot of people do is uh, you know, they don't really balance that out. So you have some some necessary withdrawals, like ideally a well-designed training program, um, things like you know, living your life, things like that, whatever stress come, comes upon us, um, uh, lifestyle-wise, biopsychosocial-wise, but um we don't how can I say this? <laughs> it's like we sometimes turn things that should be deposits into withdrawals, like uh, our sleep can should be a deposit, might be a withdrawal, right? We, our, our training, if not well-designed, would be a withdrawal. Our diet, if it's a little bit too much of an extreme, whether it's because of um, caloric restriction or like following an extreme diet, which might be good for a short amount of time, like a fasting or a keto or something like-esque thing, something like that. That can become a source of a withdrawal too and then you'll see that kind of manifest as performance issues so um yeah they, i guess the bigger picture question you asked is that usually like it could be a sign of some other imbalance there going on and then depending on your genetic weaknesses and how you take care of yourself is it going to manifest as a testosterone issue as you being in a funk mentally because your neurotransmitters are off and maybe your thyroid's depressed so it's, there's a lot of different paths that can go, and really it's all like the, the source of it all is kind of an energy deficit, I, I would say.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, before people are listening to this and think they're like, they're really messed up right now, What's the,
2: <laughs> yeah?
0: let's to, to take them through if they were to come work with you or other coaches who are working with a lot of people that, that we have is, what's almost like your assessment process? And I know you you use a lot of technology. You talked about it in rewiring the nervous system. But we'll get to the nervous system in a little bit and some of the proprioception aspects. But like for you or like if you were to teach another coach, what's a simple model that they can use to kind of find these checks and balances in other people that they work with, whether it's an athlete or adult or what have you? Like what's like a five step thing that you could
1: go through? Like on the assessment side of things? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, it's funny about you saying that, too, is I, I, I actually I felt I feel now I got too into the technology. Right. I had the have actually and still use, you know, the Omega wave, I have various things like that. Or if someone who's working with me remotely might have access to certain things like HRV or something like that. Like you, we can fold that in and look at it, but I, in admitting our own faults and, you know, our, our, our understandings changing as we go on, I still find a lot of that useful. I just think that at some level, some of the wearables and the technology it's, you you take, you, you're at the end of the day, you're sort of, turning people into outsourcing how they feel about uh, internally and their intuition. And so I think it's good to have a balance of both. I'm not an either or guy, but but I think I was kind of almost taking myself away from my own intuition and people's their, you know, their, their own sense of being checked into how their own body's feeling by doing some of that stuff. So I think actually in some ways, like, it's good news for coaches at home. You don't need all that. It's like 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 easier stuff you can do, right? Like those at home tests we talked about, um, there is kind of a metabolic and, and kind of a nutritional analysis, lifestyle analysis questionnaire that I have people go through. I think that there's a lot of value and utility in that things like diet recalls, like how is someone eating, um, or lifestyle recalls. We can say, cause we talk, you know, you can ask them about sleep, sunlight exposure, things like that. And the beautiful thing about all those things is you, you know, is there really value in kind of like going into the woods of, uh or be the weeds with some of the lab work and some of those other like more specific diagnostic tests if someone is pulling all of those baseline levers right because if they're not pulling those levers you you know it's it's like just if if you can get a minimum effective dose going on every level of those things like the sleep the light exposure the food um what medications they may or may not be taking things like that you're you're going to see every at least in every, every instance I've seen personally, you're going to see everything improve. And then if they're still struggling in some way, then you can bring in some of the diagnostic stuff. So, um, just to put a simple bow on, on that question, I think just some, some type of lifestyle and diet recall,
2: yeah.
1: um, mm-hmm. looking at their, you know, how overscheduled their life is and their train, you know, their programming, what their balance is like there, um, you know, those at home tests for just sort of general energy metabolism. I think those can be really, really useful things before even folding in any other technology.
0: Yeah. And I, I even think too, in terms of everybody loves data, like we use a lot of like technology for athletes in terms of like speed, you know, force plates, all that stuff. And then to try to simplify because they don't care, but we like to use some of that information. But I think, like, when it comes to working with your potential clients or the people, it's all about forming a, a habit loop, if you will. That's you know, simple that they can just check that box. Because if you like overflow them with information, they don't even know where to start or to begin, and they they might feel like they're too broken and the, and they don't want to do it.
1: Yeah, or you end up sort of chasing a certain metric to improve instead of like looking at the bigger picture. You miss you miss the forest because you're looking at the tree, right? You're trying to improve this one marker instead of saying, like, wait a minute, is he? or she feeling better? Are they, you know, is their does their skin look clearer? Are they, you know, is their hair like, you know, can they focus better? Um, are they missing less games? Are they, uh, are their numbers going up on the court? Like a lot of simple things like that is there maybe 40 time going up, whatever, like, like, like those are, I think the, the bigger movers to look at. What's interesting about the force plates and, and, you know, um, contact grids and things like that too, is I think that there can be some, like a lot of usefulness in there like i think carl val from Simplifaster was you know he and i were talking about like i think it was moticon or something like that the other day for sort of a contact grid and it could be very useful to see how you know athletes load more and be or maybe maybe uh, maybe able to load more into their right side on average if they're right-handed because of uh, you know a lot of the pri misalignment concepts right um, but their 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 left sides may be more in a state of propulsion so that doesn't show up there so i think there can be a lot of use utility and things like that. There also can be ways in which, uh, you know, force plates might not tell you as much too, right? Because it's the measurement that you're getting is largely concentric based, right? Because most of the time when you're seeing force expressions in sport, it's coming after, uh, you know, running, right? So there's a lot more elasticity involved, aka eccentric uh, qualities involved. But when you, when you isolate someone and you put them just on one little grid there, there's no run-up, there's no lead-in, so it's going to be a lot more concentric-based. And I think that's why you see a lot of these NFL uh, athletes kind of come up with these awesome force plate measurable, quote-unquote, verticals where they just kind of dip down and come up. Um, but when you would, like, look at two different... So even though their force plate numbers could be comparable to, let's say, an NBA athlete in terms of, like, concentric jump uh, qualities, if you were to watch, like, a... An NBA athlete or a high-level basketball player, compared to an NFL player, in terms of who can actually get an in-game in dunk, who can, you know, who, who could dunk a basketball, there's going to be a lot, you know, a lot more of the time, at least from what I've seen, it's going to be the basketball player because they they have all those elastic qualities that they have. There's that um, higher amount of force produced in that run-up, which again, you're you're not going to be able to really highlight that difference, which is probably like here and here on just a force plate, plus different things like you know different. Like biomechanical things you can do could kind of gaff a force plate too, like tucking your knees up to create more hang time, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, just to stay here real quick, I think something that we found is is you can't take numbers in isolation. But I'm always looking at trends and it's sure. like how far. Or talk about energy. It's like how well can you generate energy repeatedly over time around the same numbers? Right, right. So like if we're tracking a lot of some of our NBA guys or what have you. It's like. Hey, I'm looking for you to stay in this zone over time with all the external factors going on, biosocial like we talked about all the games you're playing in skill sessions. If you can stay around these numbers, then I know your output over time is getting a lot better as opposed to like you come in one day and you hit this amazing number, but you never see it again. I think that that's where sometimes, you know, coaches miss the mark. It's like looking at trends and data over a long period of time is where you can begin to make better inferences and choices in your training programs.
1: I think so too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of those, you know, some of those things like, uh, like some of the grids, like I was saying, like some of those, it's just sort of time, place, context, like what assessment can be used for what, and you know, and how are you using it to what, what else is there around that, you know, and, and definitely like don't fall victim of worshiping one, any one metric that you're using, even some of the ones I've mentioned <laughs> above all else, you know?
0: Of course. Yeah. A hundred percent. So one of the things too that I thought was really awesome and, you know, I heard you talk about this a lot. It's just kind of the nervous system or proprioception. And I think like it could get a bad rap a little bit because you might see things that some coaches deem as like, that's just ridiculous, right? But everything has merit if you know the context of where you're putting into your programming. So what have you found with like the brain and proprioception and why has that become like a real big thing in terms of what you prescribe for your athletes?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally, man. I always joke that like, I don't, I don't do... A ton of like, I don't do a ton of like instability based proprioception uh, as much as people probably think I do because I'm I've just become the guy and at least the contemporary guy to really talk about it and and advocate for it to have a seat at the table. I would I would say you know some other people like Paul Favorites for example are are doing it as well.
2: Yeah,
1: um, Nick Carson, Speed of Sport. Uh, but, but it's because there's such a stigma about it that I feel like I have to talk about it and kind of explain myself to justify it, that it probably comes across like I'm doing this much proprioception and I'm doing right. like stability work and I'm doing this much. So um, I just think that there was, you know, a lot of bad examples of that that sort of ruined it for other people, right? It's like, you know, illegal fireworks are awesome, right? But is there going to be an idiot maybe lights it around houses and like a bottle rocket goes on the roof and burns it up. Right. Like you can, you could injure someone and you could do some bad stuff with instability work, but that doesn't mean that instability work as a concept is bad. Um, another thing that I think like, that's really led me to believe is like really you're sort of always training proprioception. Like we are always working on sensory motor competencies, motor control, um, you know better control of your body in space and time that are helping your body collect itself and organize as one coordinated unit through space um and so whether you're doing a loaded exercise with strength it's maybe kind of slowed down to like a rear foot elevated split squat that might be you know in our case we kind of try to make it a little bit more along the fascia lines we might add some rotational qualities like parabolic qualities in there Like something like that is just as much appropriate exercise as me standing on a WAF uh mini elite and then having an athlete do some like basically get better reflex arcs and better activate some muscles that maybe were dormant before muscle fibers that was dormant before right so there's different ways in which you could do it i would say another big misconception is it's not just balance work right it's also like you're working on the appropriate spinal process and reflex arcs and getting a quicker signal sent from you know the body to uh the spinal cord uh, you know bypassing the quote unquote like thinking brain and having it come back that's that's a big thing that comes out of it um again facilitation or utilization of the right chains of of muscles um you know and and of course fascia too fascia is probably you know there's there's more proprioceptive qualities going on there even than muscles Um, and then yeah you you really can use like instability also that part of proprioceptive training as a feedback mechanism to get people to feel certain things too right so um if if you're if you're a strength coach and you're always like training guys in shoes and especially cushy shoes and you're always doing heels down training you know the idea of having someone on like a like a heel with some heel elevation on a, a slant board um, can not only help them maybe like uh, activate certain elements of uh, their musculature and do some repositioning work you're also maybe loading the achilles in a way which you really weren't seeing before in the in the weight room at least and so you by failing to address those loading patterns in the weight room are we really making them a, or at least guaranteeing in know to a higher degree they're going to be a better athlete when they show up on the court too and then their whole sport's played on the forefoot you know what i mean um, so I think those are other considerations. Um, I, I can also talk about different applications if, if you want to.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think something, too, that, you know, I love speed and, and we implement speed a lot. But something when you regress almost, it is proprioception because when you look at athletes, novice athletes, in terms of like weight room experience, because you could be an NBA all-star, as you've seen, but they come into the weight room, they're a novice athlete in regards to their ability, mm-hmm. what they can do but also just like neuroplasticity and how, what it really takes to get the nervous system to fire and get the output that you're looking for. So I think proprioception, you know, is so important. And then we use it in terms of speed as like technical work. Because if you're working with athletes who are already genetically gifted, they possess this engine that a lot of people don't do, but the nervous system and proprioception, all the technical work and that we do in terms of like A skips, A marches, all of that stuff, is how they express this ability that they have right it's like you're limited in terms of sometimes both neuromuscular and just from the nervous system if you've never been in those positions or you don't know how to express that speed and that's what you're talking about like getting them into these positions is like the vessel of their expression of what they kind of already have you know and the weight room just keeps facilitating that and confines them i believe does that make sense you know
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. It makes total sense. I mean, I think that one way to look like what you just said, that there's a lot to be said there. I think it's that these, you know, you kind of want to think of it like a car, right? Like, no, no one's going to say, a, 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 you know, a Zion Williams or, you know, people like that are all are, are, use David Griffin from the the Pelican sort of analogy. No one's going to say that they don't have a big engine, right? There's a lot of force going on there in the nervous system uh, and, you know, in the musculoskeletal system. But, you know, like a Hummer has a big engine, right. but a Hummer is not an athletic car, right? A sports car is an athletic car. Why? Because it has a, a, a similarly big engine, but also it's, it's the structural qualities too, right? That's, it's the, the drive trains of the car. It's the alignment. It's the tire rotation. It's the steering fluid. It's, it's the things like that. And then so if you look at an athlete, that's going to be a lot of the like repositioning work you might see from some of the, the, you know, the, the Ricky Stanzi, uh, the, like kind of concepts, the PRI concepts, things like that. Um, so, and, and of course, the sensory motor competencies, right? Like, like the, the motor control of, of the body, right? That's, that's what's going to give you that explosive fluidity. And, and it's, I think we spend a, a bit too much time as coaches on just developing the motor without respect to uh, the structure as well, right? The, the hardware. a little bit too more too much on the software or, you know, I guess when we're talking about recruitment and repositioning, it's all software, but like different parts of it. Right.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, it's interesting too. those, like I look at athletes at the highest level who maybe don't have that strength work, but it's like, look at Kyrie Irving on the court. That Mm -hmm. can't be replicated in terms of like the weight room, right? You never have a guy come in, even with whatever you want to do. Let's say you're doing, you do your PRI work, some proprioception work, you do internal rotation work, rhythm work, anything that helps stimulate the nervous system, but just the breaking forces, the positions that he gets into can't be replicated. And so I think it's sometimes a slippery slope. I'm just thinking of like where, how people interpret it, but I, I think sometimes it's a slippery slope to think that you can take that and replicate it where it's like, his nervous system is so in tune with his muscular system that like mm-hmm. that he's an anomaly.
1: Right? Yeah, of course. Dude. Yeah, totally. I mean, and that's why I think playing the, the, the athletes playing their sport too. And, you know, anyways, like, like when they say, if you don't use it, you lose it and stuff like, like we should remember that them playing their sport, or if you're working, you know, you mentioned you work at your, at your gym, you, you also see everyday people too still playing still still doing those things is probably the most important thing and then it's like what aspects of that can we impact in there right like we're the we're the pit crew rotating the tires and all that kind of stuff like what what kind of stuff can we make a difference on in there to where when he just goes out on the court it, sh- it shows up a bit but we can't make him him you know what i mean Like you said
0: yeah i'm and, sorry
1: i interrupted you too No,
0: you're good no you're good. So it's, it's awesome I'm, I think like even just some of that I talk about a lot with these guys is like frequent exposure dictates function in the sense of these guys just they're on the court. It's kind of like when you play up right? right? the analogy. It's like if you're a fourth grader, but you play with sixth graders, that's so much faster. So you're kind of rewiring the nervous system to be exposed to higher fast paced environments, more frequent firing. You have to make decisions a lot quicker that when the game slows down, it's because no, you're just at a, a competency level of people around your age. So I look at all these players, like they yeah. played the game so much. They play up so much. AU, they play up so much that that is almost, you know, it's a double edged sword because they're doing too much, but it's also why they are where they are
1: almost. Yeah. 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 Totally, man. I mean, that's great. You know, very, very well said. I, I also think too, just to kind of circle back to the last thing, I think that there's like what we have to start looking at in, in our field is like how much of what we're doing might be hurting these guys too and changing load patterns in a negative way i think that while we can't totally replicate it i do believe we can emphasize like biomechanical qualities neurological qualities um but but what are we doing that might be forcing someone into a, a bad pattern whether it's like repositioning them to be kind of an extension city you can't see my my legs but they're bowed out now like a power lifter style with my feet pointed out too like are, are we repositioning someone there in a way that's going to you know uh, impede their change of direction ability you know are we patterning someone's feet the wrong way to where we're not you know load, loading them the right way there are, are we maybe messing up sort of like oxygen and calcium like relaxation quality grit like like a Qualities by kind of having guys do these slow grinding reps right. with max intent all the time where we kind of mess up, contract, and relax cycles. So I, I do think there is something to, um, you know, like looking everything from like a cost-benefit analysis ratio.
0: Yeah, 100%. Kind of organizing it a little bit because we're talking kind of principles and theory in a training program, map out super simple, if you will, what's like how we can integrate some of the things we're talking about into a training program. Let's say you have a week, you have three to four days working with somebody. Where do some of these principles fit within that training program?
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, so I usually organize guys. If like I have them, let's say for four days or X amount of days, I, you know, usually we're having a couple workouts that are more like Twitch oriented or contract and relax more like velocity based stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we're having maybe a couple days that are more strength and power oriented. Uh, which is very similar to like a maybe a contemporary interpretation of the west side yeah. conjugate you know where it's like the dynamic and ballistics with you know mixed with strength and power things like that um, but instead of being for powerlifting, it's for for sport and then I think you know usually what I would do is I'll have guys come in like we, we definitely put a big emphasis on. I know this gets a lot of hate but I think it's probably because of more so bad application but we, we we believe in myofascial release we definitely we do that kind of stuff to get the neuromuscular system to more of a place of biological neutral
2: yeah.
1: and it's not sort of like bound up or being activated or not activated because of stress because of prior load on the body things like that um you know the fascia like i talked about before i think there's more um there's more sensors there there's more proprioceptive qualities in the fascia than I, there even are in the muscles
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think too, like what people don't realize is like, if they believe that that's helping them too, and that that's going to make them feel loose, then you can get the adaptation you're looking
1: for. Yeah, that that's true too, and and we also I should say we don't do like we don't (laughs) I shouldn't say we outlaw them, so we have some there for beginners, but we don't use foam rolling. There's no foam in our foam rolling. That's like I have guys rolling out with barbells. I have guys.
2: Right.
1: Right. I think most of the research is done on foam right so that it's like a Henry Ford thing is 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 there no clear like is it something like can we not show a demonstrable benefit between like yeah sometimes good yeah sometimes not good with foam rolling or is it or yeah. to me with my fascia release mm-hmm. or is it just that the foam part of it like the instrument is what sucks. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that there's elements of that. Uh, anyway, so we, we do a lot of that, like kind of decompression stuff. We'll do, we always begin with kind of like, usually like a just a dynamic warm-up, which also like after the initial kind of, you know, whatever it is, jump roping or something, transitions to a lot of groundwork or we're doing repositioning stuff. Uh, we also do some of the classic, you know, speed of sport, Marv Marinovich ball work as well, which helps, which also is a form of instability that, that, that helps guys, organize and collect and, and use their body in chains sequences and as coordinated units um we'll use some of the again ricky Stanzi, uh gary lynn scheffler kind of stuff which is uh, like, like the repositioning stuff footwork stuff things like that getting getting uh, things that can improve position within movement we always 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 and i do recommend this for other coaches we always start by integrating the torso and getting that kind of activated and facilitated with some of these dynamic movements before we go into something else, right? So before we get into like any sort of like agility drills, sprinting, ladders, like, or, or, or big time compound movements, things like that, we start there with some of the activation, repositioning, sensory motor competency stuff before we go into this other stuff. And then from there, like the main event of the workout usually would look like, you know, some iteration of like sprinting, biometrics uh, of certain sorts, we, we might stimulate the athletes on the isokinetic machine first before getting into some of that stuff as well. So they've got a lot more, um, you know, I would say a lot more stimulation activation, not like in necessarily I'm activating my bicep kind of way, but global activation of the nervous system. Like before- nervous.
0: Not the entire body. Almost. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. More recruitment, I, I, I guess you would say more optimal global recruitment before going into some of these other things. And that's if it's a Twitch day, mm-hmm. we, we'd be doing a lot of like kind of stuff where you turn on and, and, and off, right? Um, on uh, On a strength and power day, we might be doing like a kind of a more like biomechanically elegant way for the athlete to produce strength or power. And and I sort of look at that spectrum as really like there's there's really two sides of it that we want to be on. And I think this might be useful for coaches, but I might have guys do like a really slowed down exercise on one side of it, like some sort of like maybe parabolic or rotational rear foot elevated split squat where we're working sort of like the proprioceptors and stabilizers that they're going to see biomechanically in the sport, like, you know, create safe load patterns, landing patterns, force creation and absorption patterns. In other words, um, and so we're either going to see things really slowed down like that, or on the exact opposite spectrum, we're going to do we're we're going to make it as powerful as possible, right? We we might use one of our sort of implements like a, like some sort of landmine variation. Um, we might use like a, a machine like the supercat, where you're, you know, it's different than a normal squat. Whereas in a normal squat, you have the proprioception and stabilization being dictated by the load, so the load dictates the the biomechanics of it. Whereas if you have someone underneath a machine, like a, uh, like a, like a super cat or something like that, this is again, for strength work, there is a lot of stuff you can do with the super cat too, but the athlete can self-organize underneath that or the isokinetic uh, machine a, a lot better than they would with a traditional barbell. So I think that, you know, if the athlete is going to see, we, we talk about how to improve and not make guys worse. The, you have to remember when you're using free weights you're creating stabilizers, reposition, repositioning patterns, and propriocept, uh, proprioceptive body control qualities that are being dictated by the load. So you wanna be very careful with that load and choose load patterns in a way that's going to show up on the court. Whereas if we're just trying to look for maximal um, rate of force production stuff, that's probably when I would like really, like I don't believe that things like a back squat are gonna affect that stuff other than maybe in super untrained athletes. Um, because there's, you know, there's no guarantee that that sort of those proprioceptors, those stabilizers, that sort of like neural activation pattern is necessarily going to translate to the sport as well, right? Whereas like, you know, you could do a lot of other things where, where the athlete has like the ability to fully neurally express themselves without dampening some of those proprioceptive qualities and maybe messing up their vertical or, or something like that. Again, and I don't want to have a, a, the last thing I'll say is I don't want to have like a group of people with pitchforks at my door either. I, I know that guys <laughs> like Joe Staley in the NFL have squatted 600 pounds and had long, healthy, productive careers for the most part, but I, I just don't. It's risk versus reward. Oh. Yeah, it's risk versus reward. And I don't know that that necessarily means that, that it, everyone gets that benefit from it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, would he have been just as good or maybe even a better of an athlete if he had done some of the stuff we're being, doing, like we're doing? I'm not going to use that as an argument to prop myself up and I'm not going to use it as an argument to like, you know, take myself down either, you know, Uh, what we do. I just try to stay open to all this stuff.
0: No, hundred percent. I think it's just compartmentalizing what's best for the individual where they need, like you, you said this before, but it's if you have a novice athlete who has no stress experience, if you will, it's like, well, maybe then some bilateral compound movements are going to help them because it's the best way for them to stay compressed and manifest force. But if it's somebody who's later in their phase or they reach certain levels of strength where you know that's no longer going to help propel them forward, then this is where we're saying, like, no, you need to focus on things that's going to help improve what's actually happening on a regular basis with them.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Or maybe we'll do like a like a front squat, right, and be very careful about foot positioning and not going too far into extension city and create inside ankle bone low collapses and, you know, um, you know totally take out you know make sure we're not totally taking out the achilles and uh from the equation and things like that too so it's not that we like we do compound movements like trust me it's just more like we might do a, a variation of it or we could do like a twisting walking kind of Zercher lunge or a standstill kind of twisting um zurcher you know reverse lunge or something like that where where when we are loading the body like that we're loading it in a way where you're still sort of working along the myofascial lines of the body that they're going to see in the sport. Right. So I guess we, we started down this track because I, you know, what we normally do is we either, and I think this would be useful for a lot of coaches kind of stay on two ends of that spectrum. You either want to go like, like slowed down, almost in a way where the strength, the load is what's like teaching the body, right? It's, it's, it it is loading it. It's not just helping on a force perspective. It's also like mainly helping them kind of like a self-organization sensory motor competency uh, perspective or live in that other end where I might have someone be doing, you know, bilateral jumps on a super cat or something like that, or doing sprinting or just fully neurally expressing themselves. And I think too much training lives in the middle there where you, you dampen the qualities of the Ferrari, the really explosiveness and stuff like that. And you might not improve really the, the sensory motor competency and the position within movement qualities you're trying to improve either at the same time.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, just to, to wrap it up, just with this, is it's like, what's the end game? You know, yeah. what's the end game? Is is hitting these certain KPIs, is trying to get as strong as possible a more near sighted goal because it checks boxes for you as a strength coach? Or are you trying to get this person, this individual athlete or even adult, to be able to maintain their ability indefinitely? you know, and I look at that, it starts to, you start to begin to think about a little bit more that these are also people and you need to meet the demands of their health first before you begin to just take them down, you know, one whole rabbit hole, if you will.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. And it's interesting too, because like, yeah, you, you just said a whole lot there. It's like, you know, do you I admit that a fault of some of the stuff that I do. I mean, we do have definitely some stuff that's pretty easy to measure for progressive overload metrics by traditional metrics. There's all there's also other things like the some of the instability stuff where it's more complex task oriented. Although there is research coming out that some of that stuff can be used as a vehicle for progression too, like like complex novelty of the task, um, you know, supporting supporting the adaptations we're chasing. But but at any rate, it's like. Um, are the KPIs of a traditional strength coach necessarily what actually shows up on the field. You know, I can't tell you how many times we've seen strength conditioning staffs unfortunately there's a lot of turnover get totally fired because of a losing season or because guys were hurt and things like that and it's like well they can look back and say oh but I improved these KPIs but it wasn't what was showing up on the you know exactly. the main KPI of winning more games, like less games lost due to injury, things like that like those just weren't happening. So I think that it's at least a sign that there is that we should be open to self-evaluation in a way that's not tearing down the traditional institutions, but, but also maybe like paving the way for exploration, right? Um, maybe there is a better way to do some of this stuff. And then maybe, you know, I just know, don't hold any sacred cows, right. Do your best to kind of improve everybody at least a little bit on your way when you meet them, whether it's an athlete or an everyday professional. And, um, I think, you know, that's what we should all try to do. Just keep an open mind.
0: 100%. So something that we love to do, you know, when we have guys on is just run them through a quick sports Q&A, right? So just kind of rapid fire, just see what's going on here. So have got a couple questions for you. Number one, right? Most athletic male or female you've ever trained in the gym?
1: Huh. I, there's this guy, there was this guy, Mike uh basketball player, just stupid bounce. Yeah. Just, just like a ridiculous level of like, like balance and body control and acceleration, deceleration. Like, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Anyways, that, that's probably like the most athletic guy in some senses. There's also a guy um, who I still work with Spencer. Um, he's sort of like, because of COVID, he's sort of like one of those guys in like a last chance you kind of position. Um and also because he, you know, some, some personal things, he wasn't taking it as seriously as he could have in the past, but he's one of those guys that just gets everything right away. Right. Yeah. He just like, you'd show him something and his body just clicks. And he kind of came with already pretty sound mechanics. So for him, it's like, let me just ratchet in this bolt and like, you know, get the Ferrari to run just like at the last 20 RPMs or whatever, whatever you're, you know, whatever we're, we're talking about here, um, you know, like access the last couple pistons in your V10 or whatever that you weren't using before. Um, but I would say those guys, like, not just from like a, a fast twitch, high performance, like, like the highlight, ESPN Highlight Reel kind of stuff, but also for like they had amazing suppleness and control of their body in space. and Yeah.
0: Cool. So, smartest person you've ever worked with? Who? Could smartest. be like a mentor, you know, something that you had direct relationship with, though, not like you read it in a book kind of thing.
1: It, it is just an and someone that has always been a client of mine or just in general? Like it
0: could Yeah, it could be a client. It could be someone that you learned a ton from that kind of helped shape your career. Or
1: Yeah, I think that, So I, I think like for my career, I have to give credit to like the Marinovich training system and Nick Kersen, Speed of Sport, who really opened and unlocked a lot of these doors for me uh, in the sense that it made me totally rethink about like what I was doing about all this stuff. And I've since gone on to obviously integrate other things as well into what I do and learn from a lot of other great people. Um, but in terms of like, you know, your, your listeners on this podcast, like, like I would say that's probably the biggest influence on my career, uh, and how I think about things also just other people that probably no one knows about Sazi Guthrie, brilliant, brilliant strength coach down in, uh, Southern me down in orange County here. Um, He's great, Nick Simpson. Another another guy up in Canada who, who's working with their Olympic team there. Um, Dr. Ray Pete for the health and nutrition side of things. I would say do- Dr. Dr. Ray Pete and some of the people in his field. Uh, I would say I'm somewhere between kind of the traditional like ancestral and primal health and nutrition kind of groups, like a like an Irwin LaCora kind of lifestyle type type person, and then also the the Ray Pete folks. Um, Dan Dixon, another another guy working on the athletic performance biotech side with his awesome company. I, you know, I have the New Fit or the you know he has another kind of version, the New X Tech, which is awesome. Uh, he's he's a brilliant guy. And then also this guy Justin Rippy, who is uh, for my money the best baseball straining conditioning coach and kind of health coach that I've met down in down in Austin. So I, I definitely like from those guys in my in the field, I've taken the most. Huh. On a global sense and in terms of like, like the world. Let's see here. I would say Robert F. Kennedy, the uh, you know, the guy who was assassinated, you know, he that was sort of if you want to talk like worldviews, I felt like he was sort of, you know, his model was really the best one to be to be followed in terms of just doing what was right before what was political or serving a corporate interest and things like that. You know, I'm definitely on the biopolitics, like side of things like that. And I- I'm missing some people, Mike Colleen, if we want to talk about uh, spiritual healing, like energy work, uh, you know, relationships, traditional therapy, like how to look at life. Like I would say him, he- he's a- an NLP and hypnotherapist from, from up North.
0: Cool. That was, that was some real introspective thinking there. I love it.
1: Yeah, you so yeah, coming with my pants down. I saw that question when you sent it over. I'm like, how the hell am I going to answer? That?
0: <laughs> no, but I love it. I think it's cool when you just like really actually think about it because then people it changes people's views a little bit. You know, you could have said so many you know platonic answers, but it's like no, I'm going to go with that. So, what are you currently reading, and where do you see the industry going in ten years?
1: Oh boy, um, yeah. Currently reading, I'm reading um, a lot. Still kind of parsing through a lot of like the, the Dr. Ray Peat stuff, the Spinal Engine. Theory by Serge Grokowitsky or the spinal engine really is what the book's called. But that that's really like a, an awesome book that sort of turns biomechanics on its head. I'm reading a lot of that. I'm reading a lot of the PRI concepts, just sort of reviewing them yeah. uh, and doing a deeper dive there as well. Like um, reading a lot of stuff coming from out of that, like, like Ricky Stanzi, uh, greatest of all time athletes community he calls it. That's been great. And when, where do I see the industry going? So it's interesting, man. I mean, it's clear in our society, there's some element of technocracy going on, right? Like like technology is being used to rep- replace a lot of jobs. I, I do have a lot of concern that Amazon workers and grocery store employees and people like that are gonna be replaced by robots and AI in the future. Um, I, there's, It's already coming into training with because of COVID, right? Like COVID was sort of a perfect, Uh, or at least the response to COVID was sort of a perfect, you know, excuse for a lot of these sort of tech-based fitness companies to try to like come and take over. We're already seeing it with home fitness. The hope would be that the strength and conditioning community, because it's, there's so, you're so much of like an artist and a craftsman that, that, you know, there's still a lot of value for you and I, people like you and I in the future. And I I genuinely think there will be. Um, but the fitness industry, I see kind of going a little bit more of that hyper efficiency route.
2: Yeah.
1: I think you and I will still be here doing what we're doing in 10 years. Um, you just hope that it's like the corporate influences on health and big food and things like that are not sort of like reshaping too much. A lot of the messaging that's out there, like they already have for many years, just yeah. look at the food pyramid in the past. So as long as like, like, like the, that is not handcuffing our hands a little bit, uh, too much i think i i'm pretty optimistic about it i also think you're going to see more of like a best of both worlds of like the traditional snc kind of like getting married with like the functional training and like the movement guys out there i think those camps are finally going to talk i think you're already seeing that and i think some people like you um you know myself like speed of sport like the, stuff like the the like the marinovich's of the world like paved the way for starting to kind of be get more wide, like mainstream acceptance, at least in the private sector. So I, you know, I guess that's the simple answer. I see more of this quote unquote functional training stuff making its and biomechanics training making its way into um, the traditional sphere. So I realize that was probably like a way too weird. <laughs> kind
0: of- I, I agree. I think you know, one thing that we think about here is just like running an in-person business, as do you. And we have, you know, hundreds of clients. It's like, I think the intimacy there, for lack of better words, will always exist because people need that human interaction. They want to be around people. They want to, yeah, to talk. Yes. I don't think that tech will ever be able to supplement that because at some point you're not going to stare at your computer for the next decade or so. You're going to be like, I need to go do X, Y, and Z.
1: You know, yeah, that totally. component of it will always be there totally and and i think that like you what you're going to see is like like with the rise of the digital products and some of them are going to be great you and i obviously are going to take advantage of like the good parts of that you're also going to see people that just want a good solid tangible in person experience right like just something that they can and then also you know they're just going to get tired of this sort of like they're going to start opting out of the digital culture as much as they can probably because they're going to have to opt into it in so many other areas out of necessity right so I, I think, you know, I'm optimistic about it maybe being something that ends up bringing us more into the real world and appreciating the simple things there even more, whether it's, you know, you and I's job and like a performance kind of perspective, or and or whether it's just like life in general, you know, yeah. like I said, you just hope that like, because, because of the rise of scientific Gnosticism as well, like, like the idea of treating science as a religion and corporations buying out research that they don't it doesn't lead to like ridiculous things that you're starting to hear like them wanting to, uh, you know, demonize red meat, uh, as part of climate change or something like that. Something that would like majorly affect like how we eat ourselves and like how we as a society, let alone us as a profession, help people get healthier too. So a lot of that stuff is like, you just hope that the messaging from both uh, the religious side, because the plant-based movement actually was started by the seventh day Adventist church. Um, and the corporations like, like stuff like that doesn 't sort of creep into being too much of like a an authoritarian perspective to where like us in the alternative health field um, are sort of handcuffed right so that would be my concern, uh, but in general i i 'm pretty positive about the future of strain and conditioning and rehabilitation and the private sector there
0: yeah, no one hundred percent I mean this was awesome. I appreciate a lot of good insight. I think just I love the way you think and, and how you kind of categorize everything you have going on, but where can people find you? What do you got going on?
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you want to, uh, you know, dip your toe in, you can always find me at, uh, at rewire HP or health and performance, rewire health and performance on Instagram. My website is technically rewireperformance.com. Although, uh, that's really in need of an update because it, it's like emphasizes the tech side of it. We were talking about before a little bit too much. Uh, but you can find me there for like basic communication reasons. Um, that's pretty much it right now. I'm i I'm, yeah, I'm a pretty low key guy.
0: <laughs> and you answer yeah, and you answer every DM. I'll say that much.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. I think, and you know, I answer by, I answer my phone if you call the number on the website too. So,
0: that's cool. Appreciate it though. This was awesome, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation.
0: Yeah, of course.